This is an ABC podcast. Now I'd like to invite all Club Europe passengers to board now from gates number 17. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. So does the idea of flying fill you with dread at the moment? And that feeling of dread may be for multiple reasons, Daniel Miles. It could be lost baggage, it could be delayed or cancelled flights, or the huge cost, just what it costs to fly at the moment. Not to mention the concern that some of us also have with things like safety. You know, there's been about half a dozen planes turned around or making emergency landings in the last fortnight. Plus, you've got the lingering risks of COVID. So I wonder whether or not the aviation sector is in trouble of losing our confidence. Well, more and more of us, and if judging by the amount of people that were holidaying locally this Mm -hmm. school holidays, will we start to think twice about flying? And if we are looking at long-haul travel, will we look at alternative ways to travel? And why are we looking that way? Has there been a decline in service or or the safety? Is this just something that's been a long time coming? Or is the aviation industry a cruel victim of the pandemic? Is a company like Qantas, which is so deeply ingrained in our Australian psyche, at at risk of losing its mantle as Australia's Mm. most trusted and prestigious airline, Could a cheaper competitor, a battler like Bonza, actually be a saviour to the sector? Let me throw this at you, though. Would you start to think about, as I said, alternative ways to travel? And as Victorians, not many of us travel on the bus. If we are getting on the bus, we're not happy about travelling on the bus. (laughs) But there has been a rise in luxury bus or coach travel in particular in the United States. And Mm -hmm. Daniel, when you look at some of the images of luxury bus travel, they look like first class pods. Not that I've ever been in first class. (laughs) That's to say I've tried very hard to sort of wrangle my way into first class. It has never happened. Time, you know, it may still happen. But they are like first class pods. You can lie down, you have your own screen, there's Wi-Fi, they have lovely dim lighting, there's bathrooms and toilets on board and this is something that more and more Americans are using and are taking up. So I wonder whether or not we would ever see luxury coach travel become a thing in Victoria. Interstate travel where I can lie down, have a cup of coffee, maybe a glass of champers, watch some Netflix, just sign me up, Michelle. I've got a flight coming up and I know I'm probably not alone in feeling a little bit of anxiety around it. And living in a coastal town, living in a holiday town, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that there's been a lot more people around these summer holidays. Yeah. Maybe it's the, the vision of packed airports every school holidays that are turning people away from planes. But if there's a way that I can lie down, have some Netflix and a bit of a chill while I travel and maybe wake up in comfort... Sign me up. Absolutely. So maybe this is you. Are you losing faith in the aviation industry? Are you choosing or questioning flying at the moment? And maybe you're looking for a better alternative. And will we ever see the rise of luxury coaches? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. like a funky tune to make you get on a plane. Maybe that's what we need, Daniel Miles. (laughs) Joining us from ABC Warrnambool, we're talking about whether or not we're slowly losing faith in aviation and if we are considering alternative ways to travel. We mentioned the bus there. 
I know mm-hmm. I would 100%. If it was a luxury bus, I would consider it. If you didn't have to drive to the airport, you didn't have all the concerns of check-ins, having to get there earlier and all of the dramas that are associated, I honestly think I would consider getting on a bus. Mm. It doesn't surprise me that it's so popular in America. We know that busing and coaching is much more part of that that American culture. It, Like you said, any chance that if I'm rocking up for a train and I see bus replacement, I know I'm having a bad day. That's not something that you ever want to see. Uh, but if you can do it in luxury, that's that's something else entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Sally's on the road. Sally, good morning. Are you questioning flying at the moment? No, not really. I mean, we've had a few funny uh, incidents recently because uh, going to Tassie, uh, Jetstar, about to get get our gate number. Gate number comes up and then it's cancelled and you can't fly till five or six hours later and then that was an hour late getting and we left home at four in the morning and got to uh, Tasmania. Oh, no, it was Queensland, that one. We got to Brisbane at six o'clock. So <laughs> that wasn't a pleasant day, but it just puts you off path just one one airline and other than that if you want to go somewhere and we love cruising you've got to go to sydney to get the cruises we like so you get on the plane the day before and you go i would never go on the same day these days though because you really can't trust that your plane isn't going to be cancelled but sally you've got a cruise coming up what about this? Yep. You, you, you've got a cruise coming up and you've got the chance to hop in the car and just lie down in a bus. There's a, there's a cruise bed there for you. You can, you can turn on the music, you can watch the telly. Would you ever take that as an alternative? Probably not. I'm a, I'm a, a, a plane and train and a sea person, never like buses or cars all that much. So, no, probably not. It wouldn't matter what they were doing. Good on you, Sally. Lovely to hear from you. Enjoy your next cruise. Plenty of texts on this. Daniel Miles, Rochelle and Daniel, as a travel agent in central Victoria, I can assure you people are not losing faith in flying, particularly those who fly business class, says Graham. And another that says, oh, I'm getting on a Qantas long-haul flight on Sunday. I might just turn this segment off, says Michelle. (laughs) Please don't, Michelle, because we're not trying to say don't. Don't fly. It's just it feels like all of us or a lot of us at the moment are questioning how we travel. And another Mm. saying, is this just another time that we should be talking about fast rail? And we knew that fast rail would come into this, into this conversation. And regionally, and I guess within Victoria, it feels like Groundhog Day. But we do Mm. know that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is floating the idea of interstate fast rail. So the idea of going, say, from Melbourne to Brisbane. So maybe the focus, it won't happen to us locally, but it might happen to us from state to state. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you always think of when you're talking interstate travel is you you, you cast your mind to the way they do things in Europe, the way they do things in Japan, where you can just hop on a train and there is that alternative. And we're not saying that, that, that flying is done for, but it's worth having a conversation. Uh, Jeff's called in from Sunbury and he knows a little bit about the sector. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Very well. Tell us about your experiences. Yeah, look, I work in the aviation industry um, and domestically every, everything people say is true. It's just chaotic. It's not resourced properly and it's, it's mainly driven by profit. Um, when I, I went on holidays to Europe um, in 2018 and I refused to get on aeroplanes within Europe 
I just take the train because they stop within the cities, they're comfortable, um, and you don't have to have the hassle of queuing up securities and, and you know, lost baggage. With, with aviation, there's a lot of moving parts to make one aeroplane mm. get in the sky. And at the moment, uh, those moving parts are not connecting very well. And, Jeff, do you think then, judging, it sounds like you do a lot of travel and obviously you've worked in the sector, that this is not an issue that is just happening to Australia? Is this a global issue, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, in America, when it came out of COVID, it was the same, you know, cancellation of flights, um, uh, crew being put in the wrong spot. You know, the number of times I've rocked up to a place and, uh, you know, there's no transport, there's no accommodation and you're sort of left to your own devices. That's not unique to Australia. But when when the bosses of the airline start focusing on customer service, then we'll see a change. But at the moment, it's all put as many people on uh, on aeroplanes as possible in as many seats as they can fit on an aeroplane. And uh, as long as people pay for it, they'll, um, they'll keep doing it. But uh, a luxury coach travel... Uh, that'd be great. High speed rail. That would be that would be even better. I mean, the other thing you've got to remember is that the weather affects aviation a lot more than ground transport. And uh, you know, with climate change, the weather's getting more volatile and um, and and affects affects flying uh, a lot more than than say coaches yeah. or trains. Jeff, it's been really good to hear from you. Thanks so much for calling through. And there's lots of texts, Daniel, saying that mm-hmm. yeah, I totally get on some kind of luxury coach. I don't know, maybe at the end of this we to start a business just quietly because yeah. I feel like there's already an appetite for it. Jeffrey Thomas is the Editor-in-Chief of AirlinesRating.com and Jeffrey, you've been analysing this industry for a very long time. People are questioning flying at the moment. Do you think that that's going to affect the aviation sector at all? Like is it at risk of losing our confidence? Yes, look, thanks, Rochelle. Um, yes, I've been analysing this industry for probably too long. Um, <laughs> look, um, look, certainly, you know, uh, there is a, a heightened awareness of the, of the industry's problems. And Jeff was, was absolutely right. The previous caller, uh, coming out of COVID, the industry has been battered. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there too about what is causing the problems uh, and how Qantas and Virgin have come out of COVID uh, in Australia. Um, And um, when sort of the truth comes out about what are the dynamics of all of this, um, it's not surprising that the airlines have been knocked around rather badly. and one of the issues, first of all, is while we think that COVID is over because we can travel and we don't have to wear masks on aeroplanes and all those sorts of things, we've still got an absenteeism uh, up and around 30% through COVID illness. And this, this causes havoc um, for the industry. Now, whether it's uh, ground handling, whether it's catering, whether it's the pilots, whether it's the flight attendants, whether it's the security staff on the, on the check-ins, uh, or bag security. Uh, at every level, there's staff shortages. We've also got the problem of getting people back into the industry. Um, and one of the things that people uh, say, for instance, well, Qantas got $2 billion through COVID. They shouldn't have laid staff off. The reality is if they had kept all their staff on through COVID, the government would have had to have paid them nearly $12 billion, not $2 billion, $12 billion. And an example of this is Lufthansa in Germany, where the German government at the beginning of COVID said to Lufthansa, uh, you need money to get through this. 
um, we want you to issue 30% of stock in new shares and we'll buy them and we'll give you $17 billion. That's the sort of level of assistance mm. that overseas airlines have received. Many airlines that Qantas competes with, for instance, are government-owned um, and they simply got all whatever funding that, was, that, that, that they needed. So, you know, it's been incredibly challenging for Qantas and, of course, we know Virgin went into receivership and came out. Uh, very challenging for the airlines, um, mixed in with can't get staff back there's a shortage of staff and then what staff they do have back you've got COVID impacting them so there are there's a multitude of problems uh, that the industry is battling at the moment and they're reflected in higher fares delays uh, etc and so um, yes people's thoughts about travel have been knocked mm. around mm. So, Jeffrey, what's it going to take to get the airline industry back to its glory days? Uh, we've seen the pandemic hit. We've seen staff. We know that the same amount of flights aren't leaving airports. What's it going to take to... Will we ever, I guess, get back to the, the glory days of Australian aviation where it was seen as a, a prestigious thing to fly? Uh, look, I, I really believe we will. I think we're, I think it's 12 months away. I really do. Uh, you know, talking to, you know, staff, talking to executives, talking to various people within the industry. There's still a lot of issues, um, particularly around, as I mentioned, COVID illness is still a big factor uh, and getting uh, recruiting staff. Um, I think it'll be 12 months. And, and also uh, your previous caller in, Jeff, absolutely right. In fact, it's worse overseas than it is in Australia. Um, if, if, they, if you can imagine such a situation. And I think, I think quite a few of the listeners would have seen the pictures uh, some months ago about the piles of baggage at Heathrow Airport in the United Kingdom, um, airlines having to send uh, aircraft you know, across the Atlantic just to pick up the bags and take them to America. Yes. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy things going on. But yes, another 12 months, Daniel, before I think we see everything settle down. It's going to get better. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Qantas is um, uh, getting more aeroplanes back from uh, from storage. And another thing, another factor here in this is an A380, the Super Jumbo, when uh, out of storage, it requires 4,000 man hours to bring it back to a flying, a proper commercial flying condition. When you've got a backlog and, and during COVID, 10,000 aircraft were grounded. Yeah. Some so of those images were just, they were quite confronting, actually, you know, when you saw yeah. all of the planes grounded. But the idea of planes being in storage, even that, and I think a lot of people had a sense of nervousness returning to flying. They sort of wanted it up and mm. running a little bit before. Oh, they... we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to turn it straight back on. I mean, it was turned off very quickly. I mean, within two weeks, the industry had gone. The, when you see the graphs um, of travel, it just fell it off just a cliff. I know, in, that's right. I remember talking about you know, whether or not we would ever see when COVID first hit. We did a program on what would happen if you know, international flights just stopped, you know, if the aviation industry stopped, and that's exactly what happened. Jeffrey, it's comforting to know that you think that in 12 months it'll be up and running again. Let's hope that that's the case. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, Rochelle. Jeffrey Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of AirlinesRating.com. And I do, I'd forgotten, Daniel, about those mm. images of all of the planes, in particular the Qantas planes just lined up out in you know, some American desert somewhere. And it was... 
was a plain graveyard that would just wing to wing to wing, and it was something that we'd never seen before. And those images, coupled with the hangars just full of luggage that had been missed or needed to be flown to other places, just gave me the heebie-jeebies in in a way I can't describe. And I remember doing a program called Hanging Up Your Wings because during COVID, so many people that worked within aviation that loved it and loved it for a multitude of reasons were saying, okay, it's my time. I'm going to hang up my wings now. And just that loss of experience that walked out the door. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's something that we need to still build right from the very beginning. Claire's in Moorbark. Hi, Claire. Hi, how are you going? Good. What did you want to say? Um, I just wanted to talk about um, the luxury coach travel. And I've just had a, well, not just, in 2012, had a really fantastic experience traveling around Turkey. So what was the luxury coach like? Well, um, I was traveling on my own and it was a night coach um, when I went from sort of town to extended um, stop for another town along the way. And it was winter and it was so comfortable. Um, I felt it was quite progressive at the time. I mean, I don't know if that was um, anything to compare with um, Australia, but it, they had a steward, would come around offer you drinks, mm. you had Wi-Fi, and it was just over 10 years ago and it was so comfortable I slept so easily and refreshed to tour the next town the following day it was fantastic it's a step above the v-line replacements uh I think I can comfortably say that Claire would you see something like that taking off in Australia would you hop on one in Melbourne sleep the night and wake up in Sydney and 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 take that as an alternative to flying uh, personally for myself yes but with a family it might be a young family could be a bit tricky um I've got toddlers that are twins but I think it depends on the type of travel that you're doing um it's because it's a longer period of time and it's just a little bit more tricky than more room to move around on an airplane that's just personal did you have one of those cool looking little pods Claire that sort of look like the first class pods well I can't remember again it was quite a while ago it was just the fact that the chairs recline so easily Mm. and um, the staff were just beautiful and it was just, yeah, it was just seamless. And so, I'd, yeah, I'd go back, I'd be wondering what the, the buses <laughs> would be like in Laos, let alone um, in 2012. Good on you, Claire. Thank you. I do feel like, Daniel Miles, that a luxury pod on a bus is the closest You're we're ever going to get. Mate, you, it's this like, is, this it's, is, I think you and I need to have a chat about this after. I feel like, <laughs> they, would they give you pyjamas like those urban oh. myths that you hear on first class travel? Yeah, I am yeah, obsessed I about the pod. You oh, are. You, you've got you've got pod on the brain. Um, Ian's called in from Pasco Vale. Meanwhile, good morning, Ian. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Uh, a plane's the way to go. Do you think? No, <laughs> absolutely not. But then I think it swings and roundabouts. So, um, a, a experience my wife and daughter had flying from Boston to New York was horrendous because of summer storms. Um, you know, st- basically stopping the flight. Uh, they were in the airport for three hours. Um, the only good that came of it was the phrase airport wine. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but, but at the time that we booked that plane, it was, it was a third of the price of the equivalent train, which is apparently what everybody does there. So, okay. you know, um, but, but then that brings me to the, the, why planes are, I think, passing their use-by date for travel, and that, that for, certainly within Australia, is that the cancellation policies of planes uh, of the aircraft uh, companies is still horrendous. You know, you 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 simply can't get your money back 
um, unless you pay to be able to cancel the fare. And um, you have to book them so far out that, that um, whereas if, you, if you're travelling by train or coach, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure of their I feel like you've got more policy. control over it. I yeah. 100% agree with you, Ian. I think that's a lot of the reason why many of us are choosing not to fly at the moment. We're all thinking, well, what if I get COVID at the last minute and then mm-hmm. I can't fly? Or what if my cancellation policy is terrible? I absolutely agree. And Angus has sent this text saying we had two holidays ruined by an Australian brand airline last year. First holiday with long delays. The second holiday was cancelled. The flight returning back to Melbourne to, from Singapore was cancelled. We were abandoned in Singapore. It cost us $4,500 return back to Australia. The lack of customer service just added to our stress. We paid a lot of money in good faith for a service and we never received what we paid. They know they can get away with it. They wouldn't have done this back in the day. Thanks for talking about this segment where there's smoke there's fire says angus this is the conversation hour on abc radio melbourne and victoria but are we leaving on a jet plane daniel miles as always joining us from abc warnable good morning my name's rochelle hunt are we losing faith in the aviation industry Physically cannot keep up with the text with people pretty much at the moment if this is some kind of crowdsourcing saying yes, that they are, Daniel. Mm. So the next song that Peter, Paul and Mary's equivalent has to come out with is I'm leaving on a luxury bus coach or I'm taking the train instead. Um, one thing that we've we've touched on and uh, I, there's just this nostalgic part of me that remembers the days of flying when... Flying alone was an experience. It was a something that you actually looked forward to because you'd get in, you'd get an amazing meal, and it felt like a first-class experience. And, you know, as a kid, if you were lucky, you got to go up to the cockpit, and it was all about the service that you received because when you're in the air, you're either getting, you know, your, your special eye mask. Yes. or I remember days of... Oh, the hand of, wipes, you know, yeah, the towels. that's it. The little things you take the socks home with you. I've got a pair of cufflinks that my grandfather gave me from when he flew to Europe in the in the sixties or something like that, and it was just seen as the epitome of class. And a lot of that comes down to the way that they were treated, um, and that's something that we've seen an exodus from yeah. in the industry. These people who have decades of work flying and, and giving that first class service. Natasha's joined us, a flight attendant with more than two decades of experience in the air. Um, Natasha, thanks so much for joining us. What are we seeing in the industry from your perspective? We hear that there's an exodus of staff. We see that people are leaving. Is that the case? A lot of your colleagues who have been in the air for so long, are they still flying? Uh, good morning, Daniel and Rochelle. Thanks for having me on the program. Um, yes, you're right. And it's really interesting listening to the viewers, uh, sorry, the listeners, your listeners, um, about the industry and how it has evolved and changed. And you're right, a lot of people, such as myself, um, made the decision to leave the industry on the back of the pandemic, definitely. How do we get them back then? That's the main question. <laughs> Um, I don't think you can. There, there, look, there is a part of me and I'm tormented still um, by the love of uh, the industry. And it's. I, I loved hearing you talk about, uh, you know, your grandfather's cufflinks back in the 60s. And there was certainly a, a nostalgic, 
you know, um, experience when, when flying. But what happened in Australia, and it all it happened years and decades ago in, in America and Europe, was the introduction of low-cost carriers, which meant that, you know, normal, everyday people could fly. So in order for that to happen, they had to bring the cost of airfares down. And there goes your cufflinks and there goes your eye masks and your hot towels and your hot meals. It, it just doesn't exist anymore unless you're flying your premium uh, airlines like Qatar Airways. Yeah. Emirates and paying through the roof for it. Well, that's so right. Like we did, we hadn't flown in a very long time and we did a a four hour flight. So from Melbourne to Cairns and we'd done, my husband and I have been going to Cairns for for winter escapes for for a long time, over 30 years. And I remember the beginning in that four hour flight, look, I'm very obsessed with food, space facts, but you would get a lovely (laughs) lunch. If we would time our flight, so you'd get a nice lunch on the plane, maybe a glass of wine. This last time that we flew, we pretty much had a cake in a plastic bag chucked at us and I just noticed that and it was a lot more expensive to fly as well so it does feel like all of those services are being cut back but then you add to it just the stress of getting in and out. Natasha just finally a little later we're going to look into well how do we get people into the industry? How, how do we do that? How do we make young men and women or people that are maybe thinking about a sec- second career think okay I, I want to work in aviation? I think it's um a double-edged sword in a sense where the, the airlines need to, to cost cut and in uh, saying so, it also means that the working conditions for cabin crew uh, need to be improved because the cabin crew are doing humongous hours. Yes. Like I've still got a lot of mates in the industry and even two days off, first day is recuperating, second day is washing and ironing and then you're back on the job. Um, it, it is a struggling industry since the pandemic has hit because the pay rates have gone down. Um, the conditions have um, certainly uh, impacted. Well, that was one of the main reasons that I left because I knew that coming back, I'll be working harder for less. Mm. So it, it it is hard. But for, for young people who do want to get in the industry, I highly encourage it. It was the best 20-something years of my life and I would never change it for the world. Natasha, thank you so much for calling and uh, sharing your experiences in the sky. It's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. See ya. Ross is in Wonthaggy. Hi, Ross. Hi, how you going? Good. Um, I uh, used to drive for, um, well, I started off driving for Greyhound and then uh, when uh, Greyhound Pioneer combined, I was with Greyhound Pioneer. So um, back at the end of the last century, (laughs) sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? We had luxury coach travel. Um, Greyhound, I think, had red carpet or something like that. And I think Pioneer had silver service. And these were coaches with a few rows of seats removed and they had little fancy curtains around the windows. I can remember that. Um, And they were doing, say, uh, Melbourne, Sydney. I think it was about 11 hours and you had extra seating. Um, And then there was another coach company started up and they only had two seats across rather than four seats. Um, they lasted about six months. Right. And they were doing an exclusive Melbourne... And what, did they not last because... Well, no, they didn't last because the um, when uh, the other airlines like Virgin and whatever, I can't remember, another airline jumped in with very, very cheap fares, and all of a sudden to, to, to fly from Melbourne to Sydney was cheaper than taking the coach. 
I wonder whether and, we'll see that shift back around, Ross. Well, I think there's only one coach service between Melbourne and Sydney per day now, whereas years ago there'd be four or five or six. Mm. Ross, thanks for calling. The idea of silver service on a bus. I know. I saw your eyes light up as soon as there was silver service and red carpet. That was the one that got you. (laughs) I am an open book. It's just like, ooh, little things, you know. Yeah, special things. I know, little special things. Maddie Johnson is the chair of the Australian Flight Training Industry Association. Maddie, how do we get more people into the aviation sector and, uh, and profession? Oh, good morning, Rochelle and Daniel. Thank you for inviting me on today. Uh, Look, I think it's really important that we do a great advertising um, campaign for the industry so we can actually tell the students out there that potentially there's jobs in, uh, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a graphic designer, customer service, then there will be a job there for you. So I think that's the main thing. Um, As you mentioned earlier, we very much had the opportunity as years gone by to have the the young kids come up into the cockpit during flights and that was the way to really sow that seed of um, interest into the aviation industry and you're right it was very glamorous so uh, these days unfortunately it's everyone gets on you turn right and you don't get to see any of that Um, so people are not really wanting to join so there's definitely advertising needs to go out there into the secondary schools and even seed it back into primary school. Maddie, we've had texts flying in, pardon the pun, uh, including yep. this one from Alan who says he worked as a commercial pilot training for 12 years. He used to train over 100 Chinese cadet pilots each year for the world's third largest airline. COVID stopped this three years ago, and among other things, obviously, we must be facing a pilot shortage. As much as we don't have people there walking the aisles, are we also facing a shortage of pilots? Oh, absolutely. So... What happened uh, pre-COVID was the uptake and the recruitment in the major airlines was significant. So there was a lot of draw out of the instructor industry. So the opportunity to produce new pilots was reduced. So then COVID hit and everyone was retrenched, stood down, and then a lot of them have decided to reskill as uh, in another occupation and often they've decided that they don't really want to come back for some of the reasons that have been spoken to previously, like Natasha going back working harder for less pay. So we also had uh, America actually um, has really taken off again, pardon the pun, of uh, yeah, increasing a lot of the travel uh, very quickly. And so what they're doing is uh, there's a thing called E3 visas and there's been about a 1,000 Australian pilots that have now gone over to the US. And on the other side of it, there's been a lot of students who have either stopped their training uh, during COVID or it's often a very nuclear uh, industry. So if you have a family member who's involved, then you know you will have another family member who comes into aviation. And when those have been retrenched and their kids come along, oh, I want to become a pilot, cabin crew, uh, air services, um, doing that kind of job, they're going to say, no, 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 go off and do something different. So I think the recovery is going to take us at least another 12 to 18 months. And in that time, there's going to be very much a critical resource uh, shortage. Yeah, this is the second time in today's program we've heard that sort of 12-month frame time. Just finally, Maddie, what I find interesting here, and I actually didn't realise this and some of the research that's been done into or maybe just some of the knowledge that 
that you have from working in the sector is that quite often it's generational that people work within aviation and that if we've lost a huge section of people that work now in in aviation does that flow on effect last for longer than we would hope uh, absolutely. That's what I meant by this was nuclear, that in yeah. a family you would have people. So um, I absolutely uh, agree with that one. So a lot of those students who had finished school or were looking to reskill and were going into aviation, when their parents have been retrenched, stood down and they're themselves um, reskilling into another industry, then it would be, no, don't go into it. Um, so I absolutely agree that the, the on-flow waterfall effect here is going to be significant for um, quite a period of time that we need to get government on board to really advertise the industry because there's going to be enormous opportunity for those who want to come into the industry from uh, initial foundation training up through charter um, into smaller regionals into the majors as time goes on. Maddie Johnson, thanks for joining us this morning. That's a pleasure. Thank you. That was Maddie Johnson, Chair of the Australian Flight Training Industry Association. Michelle, there's plenty of people calling in. They're all on board. I'm going to keep the puns going uh, <laughs> because that is our prerogative. Um, one person who's called in is Trish from McRae. Good morning, Trish. Hi, can you hear me? We absolutely can. Are you sticking with the wings or are you uh, looking for alternatives? Um, look, I do a combination. So just um, a few months ago we caught a train, a sleeper train from Melbourne to Sydney. A sleeper and train? Take us inside a carriage. Life. What's it like in there? <laughs> okay, so it starts off with a um, like a three-seater couch that you sit on and then you ring the bell when you want to go to bed and someone comes along and um, pulls down the, the second bed, which is above you, a bunk, um, and they put up a little ladder, a very skinny ladder, so I wouldn't... Um, recommend it for older people that have got mobility issues. Um, they deliver breakfast for you um, in the morning, um, which is fantastic. Um, but the sad news is it's owned by New South Wales Travel and when the new trains come in, they'll no longer have the sleepers. I can remember travelling on a sleeper when I was quite young and I was with my mum and dad and I think to save costs, mum and I top and tailed right down the bottom of the bed and dad yeah. had the <laughs> Down at the top is like six foot four. And I remember just being totally grossed out because the shower was over the toilet. It all felt like it was going to be luxurious, but it felt a little like prison. Yeah, so, so we, didn't, we didn't use the, um, I used the toilet, but there was no way I was going to use the shower. That was okay because we arrived where we were coming and we got off before Sydney and we had a shower waiting for us. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a gross out. Um, yeah. So, what, I mean, lots of people, Trisha, have been saying, well, you know, the elephant in the room, we keep talking about rail. I mean, I, I feel like we've just had that discussion so often and it takes so long mm-hmm. to build. You know, it's, there's the infrastructure. We can't just use the, the current infrastructure that we have. We need new infrastructure. Anthony Albanese is talking about interstate fast travel. I just can't see it happening, to be honest. Do you mean infrastructure for the train? That's or? right. Well, just fast rail in this country as a, as a legitimate oh. option. We won't see it in our lifetime. No, no, but the, the existing is, is 12 hours. It's just a more... Um, if you're going overnight, it, it, you know, to me, it's a, another way to do it. But we also travel um, Perth and far north Queensland, I think you were saying before, and we get cheap enough fares. Um, 
even now, maybe yeah. a little bit hundred or two hundred dollars return. And maybe that's it, Trish. Thank you. That Daniel, if you're looking at train travel, don't worry about mm. it being fast. Just time it that you go overnight. And then and don't worry if you have to top and tail with mum. That's fine. If it, if it has to be like that, it has to be like that. She was a very that. small woman, all right? She was very, very small. So it, was, it sort of did make sense. This is interesting. April is in Torquay and she says, I flew to Spain last November, still had the towels, the socks, the toothpaste, the eye marks and the eye masks and we're in the cheap seats. I'll definitely fly with that airline again as well. And another saying, I remember getting a good feed on a domestic flight in 1980, but these days... You're lucky if you get a small bag of nuts. They can keep my money, that's for sure. But that's true. That's another area where it's all fallen away. Yeah, and that goes back to that that silver service element of feeling like you're doing something special, feeling like it's an experience of its own. Um, And that's potentially what's been lost. And I don't know how much that's potentially pushing people away from aviation. I know uh, for food connoisseurs like you and I, maybe it's playing a bit more of a part uh, than it is for others. you know, we've still got people who are happy to catch the train. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Let's fly, let's fly away. If you can... Ah, the dulcet tones there, and that's the glamour that's been lost there, Daniel Miles. You're on the Conversation Hour. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Daniel Miles joining you, as always, from ABC Warnable, talking about whether or not we've lost faith in the aviation industry. This text that's come in saying carbon footprint of flying, and a lot of people are moving away, and this is one thing that we haven't touched Mm. on yet, which is it's not just because, okay, our luggage has been lost, our flights have been delayed, or our flights have been cancelled, or that it's too expensive, but it's looking at the environment impacts of flying now. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there are airlines that give you that option to pay a little bit extra and you can offset your flight, but we are working within a society and within a world that is so much more aware of our environmental impacts. And that is making a a significant part of the decisions that people are making. So it's not just the cost anymore. It's not just the experience or the delays or, or anything like that. But There's also the environmental impact of the way that we travel. So I guess that's another element, isn't it? And we could say, okay, well, you're looking at carbon emissions when you're on buses, but we're seeing more and more Mm -hmm. buses electric now. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the shift towards electric planes as well, electric planes. I'm so excited about that. Oh, well, they're being (laughs) tested. They're being tested in Victoria as we speak. Ben Groundwater is a travel writer and author of Ultimate Food and Drink. Ben, how much of flying is losing its appeal purely on environmental reasons? Yeah, I, look, I, I think for a certain section of the population, that that's really coming into coming into consideration because the flying is it's hugely damaging to to the environment, to the world. The, the carbon emissions from a flight are, are absolutely huge. Um, you, you know, coming from Australia, quite often we don't have any other choice but to fly if we want to get anywhere outside of our own country. And, and even within our own country, really, there aren't that many other options. But I think certainly once people get away, if if they're going to say Europe or if they're going to Japan or something like that then there's, there's probably a, a trend or at least a, a desire to get away from flying any more than you need to. So it's one flight there, one flight back, and then once you're on the ground, try to use other forms of transport rather than... The, the kind of the old way of thinking was probably to, to make use of as many budget airlines as you can, particularly somewhere like Europe and, and, and also the US now. 
there's so many budget airlines you could get around for you know next to, to 10 pounds or something like that to fly from one city to another i think now even though it's so cheap people are maybe thinking about other ways to get around just to cut down on the, on the sheer number of flights that they're taking Ben, we've been talking about alternatives, and a lot of them have been in Europe. The idea of um, a luxury bus has Rochelle beside herself. <laughs> Are we ever going to see those pleased. options <laughs> within Australia? We know that the rail, fast rail, is a massive infrastructure spend, and rail gauges is, is, is a whole other conversation and un- another conversation now. But will we see, with people moving away from the airline industry and, and it not being that number one luxury element, are we going to see other forms of interstate transport, at least here in Australia, come in and, and potentially fight the airlines? Yeah, look, I, like, I certainly hope we do. I mean, the, the luxury bus thing, it's not just Europe. This has actually been happening in, in Latin America for a long time. There's not great trail, rail, rail connections and, and flights are very expensive there. So in a lot of Latin American countries, there are already these luxury buses that are a bit like business class on a plane. You know, you've got lie back flatbed seats, you've got trolley services coming through, um, it's, it's fantastic. And so that's something that could happen in Australia very quickly and, and quite easily. But the thing is, we're kind of used to a certain amount of, of convenience now in Australia. We're used to being able to get from Sydney to Melbourne in an hour and a half or an hour on a plane. And, and so if we're going to provide some other, other way of getting there, it sort of needs to, to be competitive with that. You know, last caller, Trish, was saying that she caught the, the overnight train, which is fantastic. It's such a lovely way to travel. I really enjoy it. But it's also not that convenient if you just need to go for a meeting or you're trying to go on holiday for, for a long weekend or something like that. You maybe don't want to spend that much time getting from place to place. So, you know, we need something that is, that's going to replace air travel in a way that's just as convenient and just as fast. And, and really about the only thing that can do that is high-speed rail, which, which, as you say, is something that we could spend a whole hour talking about yeah. the, the costs and, and, and the, the relative benefits of that. I think it's something that we desperately need, but again, it's, it's very expensive and it's very time-consuming. And even if we started today, we're probably not going to have it for another 10 years or so. So, it, so basically, the answer to the question is, I don't think we're going to get anything that's competitive to the airline industry within Australia very quickly. It's funny too, like we complain about how, where's our moist towelette and why aren't I getting eye masks and you know the luxury has been ripped out of this. But all of those things were there when only a few people in society could afford to fly. And now they're cheaper. We've had to cut costs, as we heard from Natasha, our air, um, fly, our air flight attendant earlier in the program, more of us can afford to fly and stuff has to be cut as a result of that. So do we have to suck it up a little bit, Ben? If more of us want to be able to fly, then you're not going to get all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yes. If you want the bells and whistles, pay for business class. That, that costs about the same amount as it used to, relatively speaking, to fly economy back, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. If, if you want the magic of flying, you can still have that. You just have to pay a whole lot more for it in the way that you would have paid a whole lot more for it back in, in those sort of golden era that we, that we think about. Uh, there's, there's been a great democratisation of travel. And as you say, so many people can now afford to fly places. That's a little bit, in some ways, it's part of the problem because it means there are just so many flights in the air and, and the damage to the environment is, is much greater than it used to be. But at the same time, we have this luxury and this ability to move around the world for, for what, you know, in relative terms, is, is a very, very small amount of money. And Ben, just a quick one before we let you go. The, what about the changes that are coming from within the aviation industry itself? We spoke at the top about Bonza airline coming in and we're going to talk uh, very shortly around electric planes and, and short travel, travel 
in the air within the state. What kind of difference does that make when you're simultaneously bringing down the cost and making it more accessible, but as you said, putting more planes in the sky? Yeah, look, I think the aviation industry is responding to the market in some ways in that there are plans to to modernise, to, to look at, at, at uh, renewable fuel sources, um, obviously to look at electric planes as well. Uh, these are things that are, that are going to take time, but as long as people demand it, they will actually happen. So, so that's exciting. It's, again, it's not going to happen for a little while. Uh, in, the, in the short term, we are going to have more planes in the sky, but I, I, think, I think that sort of thing will, will take place eventually. Ben, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. No problem, thank you. See our Ben Groundwater there, travel writer, author of Ultimate Food and Drink. This text, my husband and I are heading overseas and have deliberately avoided connecting flights in the hope of avoiding losing baggage and travelling through Europe by train as it's far more convenient. We have friends who have travelled to Europe via the UK last September and they're still waiting for their lost bag to turn up, all due to our national carriers and the incompetence there. Peter's Mm. in Seddon. Hi, Peter. Hello, how are you going? Well, what did you want to say? Uh, I took my uh, two 11-year-old twin boys up to Sydney on Friday on the train. Actually, it was a day trip. Uh, look, it was delayed an hour out of Melbourne. We couldn't do much about that due to level crossing works. Uh, Twelve and a half hours all up, it took the time to get up there, which was a long time. Uh, there's not a lot of reception on the train, so you can't really use your phone. There's no Wi-Fi. Uh, where I was sitting was particularly uncomfortable because I was kind of jammed into the aisle and I couldn't get there. The good thing was it took me, it cost me $167, I think, for a first-class ticket up there, and it cost me to get my two boys up there $2 because it's an extra dollar each to get a child up there. So but when you're mid-travel, yeah, two 11-year-olds and no Wi-Fi, would you have paid all the money in the world in order to have had some sanity returned, Peter? Look, they were pretty good. They were playing um, games in their iPads every hour for an hour, so I kind of li- limited that. So they had an hour on, an hour off. Um, but And the cafe was fantastic because I just kept feeding them up with food. Um, but it was a long trip and we were very, very tired by the time we got into the hotel in Sydney. And the scariest thing about it is it's very bumpy in places um, and there seems to be a lot of older people on it and they're walking around on this train that's bouncing around and I thought, because I was right near the door, that sooner or later I'd be Rod Marsh and have to catch catch, catch a few of them because they were bouncing around quite hard. And I was, even even me, I was I was a little bit worried walking around the place. It was quite bumpy. But we did fly back, so there you go. There you go. You had a, bit of, a little bit of both. Could you imagine two 11-year-old twins, oh. Daniel Miles, on a long-haul trip? You're a very, very brave man, Peter. Yeah. We've spoken a little bit this morning already about the future of electric planes and whether that's a huge part of aviation's future. And lots of people saying, what about regional airports? This text here from someone that lives in Hamilton in Victoria says, not enough regional airports, five to six car hour trip to a major airport. No certainty that the flight will be cancelled. We need more regional airports. Well, John Sharp would agree with that. He's the deputy chairman of Rex Airlines. But first things first, John, the last time we spoke... You're talking about trialling and not being too far away, trialling electric airplanes. How far away are we? Well, Rochelle, uh, this time next year we'll be doing it uh, in Wagga in New South Wales. We'll be taking a turboprop that's a, a propeller aircraft with a turbine, a jet-type engine in it, and we'll be taking that engine out and we'll be putting in an electric motor, uh, which will be connected to batteries, which will be supported by hydrogen, and we'll be doing these physical trials this time next year and we expect 
if all goes to plan, that we will uh, be successful and we'll eventually convert um, or take that uh, trial program to the Civil Aviation Safety Authority to have it certified as safe and able to be used for regular public transport. So, John, what's the end goal? How many of your planes would you like to see having a battery in them? And is this all in response to a, a consumer push to have cleaner flights? Well, Daniel, it, it, we won't convert all of our regional aircraft. We have 60-odd uh, regional aircraft, 34-seat Saabs, uh, because the range that you'll get out of the battery-operated uh, engines won't be sufficient to do the longest of our flights. So our long flights are things like from Sydney to Broken Hills, about two and a quarter hours, two hours 20. Um, but the most, most of our regional services are uh, within an hour, and the electric motors supported by batteries will be able to manage an hour-long flight so most but not all of our fleet will be converted to electric subject to all the trials and certification working out and is it being driven by consumers not well, we obviously there's a very strong push in the community to try and reduce carbon emissions we're very conscious of that um, but it's also driven by what we think is good good business practice this will actually reduce our costs we think our costs of operating the aircraft with electric motors will come down by mm. around 40 percent wow which which is a and huge will that be reduction. passed on john i mean i if, if then it becomes cheaper and easier to fly an electric plane regionally maybe then the argument of regional fast rail we don't have to worry about that anymore because electric planes if we have the right amount of regional airports maybe that's the solution yeah, it is. I think you know you can you can do a tremendous amount of uh, of travel with regional aircraft, and it will re enable us to reduce the ticket price. But it will also, Rochelle, enable us to go to places that were previously uneconomic because with lower costs, suddenly it will become economic to fly to those places. So more regional communities will be connected to a regional airline service. So. It's got, a, got sort of all these knock-on effects, which are really fantastic. We have low operating costs. You can pass on a lower ticket price and you can go to communities you otherwise couldn't afford to so that the whole country um, gets a benefit from that. John Sharp, thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure. Thank you. That is John Sharp, the Deputy Chairman of Rex Airlines. Now, we have to take it with a grain of salt, obviously, Rochelle. He's going to be pushing the... Uh, the benefits of airline of travel course. and we know that but um the idea of cheaper more efficient travel within regional australia where we know there are airports dotted all across the country that is potentially a viable solution as you said to to the fast rail question which is going to be decades away just because of an infrastructure thing. It's a it's a curious question, isn't it? It is. Look, just towards the end of the year, I did a conversation now on regional airports and I discovered that there were airports in places I should know, Daniel Miles, mm. like Bendigo, you name it, where you are in Warrnambool, there's Bansdale. We have got Aubrey, Wodonga, we've got airports dotted all across this state. So... Maybe we are better off just looking towards that. And Ben Groundwater said earlier, it's pretty easy to mobilise luxury bus travel now. The idea mm -hmm. of actually trying to get infrastructure in and built for regional fast rail, it, it's like Groundhog Day. We talk about it, nothing ever happens. Maybe the solutions will be regional airports, electric planes and luxury bus travels where we can just you know there's carts there's trolleys mm. you had me at silver service and yeah. trolleys i just want to know if i can get a glass of champagne while flying from warnable to melbourne
That's what I want to know. Maybe that's our next show. We are shallow, <laughs> shallow people, and <laughs> I don't care. Much so. <laughs> Daniel Miles, as always, joining us from ABC Warrnambool. I also think that today has highlighted the fact that the reason why we've just seen so many people holiday locally this school holidays, whether it be where you are in Port Ferry, I spent time down along the Bass Coast, it was overflowing. Is it mm. because we've just lost faith in aviation? And it's because we don't have an electric plane to fly us home. That's what I've taken from this. Give us a moist towelette and a glass of champagne and we'll be happy. Speak Easy to you to tomorrow. Please.